Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Well, this is just awesome. Esme Murphy here. Guess who dropped by to talk Oscars? Not only, and I was referring to you as the WCCO web czar <laughs> guru, Eric Henderson. I don't know if czar is a good word to use in these this in, day and age. In this day and age, El Jefe, <laughs> um, I... <laughs> Okay. He's the guy in charge of WCCO.com, Eric Henderson, but also yeah. <laughs> also a movie reviewer, always, and also Mike Augustinak. What am I doing what here? What are you doing here? <laughs> we love it. This is awesome. Esme, I've been asked to keep an eye on you at all times. Okay, there you go. I love it. But I know that you are an avid movie fan as well, Mike, and go to many, many, many movies. I mean, as well. I'm here to talk about Oscars, and I'm surrounded by two Screen Actor Guild members. I know. Well, that's you know that's one of the great things about the merger. Uh, Mike and I are members of uh, AFTRA, which is the American Federation of Television Radio Artists. Mm-hmm. And they merged with the Screen Actors Guild. So because of that merger that happened a few years ago, we actually get the movies sent to us. So we vote. I don't actually – do you vote? Uh, it depends on how on top of my game I am. Th- this year I did. You this vote. year you did vote? Yeah. Okay. I don't vote. What? I, I just watch the movies. I just – I'm sorry. Ah. <laughs> Look, really your bad? union dues are high enough. You can do whatever okay. you want. Okay. Give me your ballot next year then. All right. All right. Is that illegal or will uh, I get uh, – Yeah, probably. <laughs> voter fraud or something like that? <laughs> go to jail. Know. Um, and, and I do want to give a, a plug for 6 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Uh, Mike and I will be there tomorrow morning, and Mike will have – I'm not going to put Mike on the spot now, but Mike's going to have to get in early because the forecast no is, kidding. is craziness tomorrow uh, or going in through Tuesday. So it's, like a two, it's like a two-day storm that really is going to have the biggest impact over about 12 hours during the day Monday here in the metro. North of us, it's a totally different story. It will start to get bad tomorrow evening, but uh, – so uh, it's Tune another hard in, one. folks, 6 a.m., 10.30 a.m. He'll have the full story, I swear. Right after this, he's going to WCCO TV. He's going to spend all night in the Weather Center <laughs> prepping for that. All right, the Oscars. Uh, one of the things I asked in the break is any big controversy because in the past it always seems like there was some big thing. There weren't enough people of color nominated, uh, some major snubs. Eric, anything like that? This time no, around? this is the year where the other controversies of the real world have been have sort of eclipsed anything that the Oscars could, you know, have had to do. Plus, they also nominated a woman and a, and a black male in in the director category, so they've actually right. got they've got their representation bases covered for a change. Right. And now, has an African American ever won best that director category? No. Steve McQueen was recently nominated uh, for Twelve Years a Slave. Uh, but he lost he, to Alfonso okay. Cuaron. <laughs> can never pronounce his name. Alfonso Cuaron for Gravity. Okay. Okay. All right. So, all right. And this is kind of like an annual tradition, folks. Um, I've had Eric. I mean, you, you've been doing this for like a number of years. Probably just the coming last in, five or six which years. Which is really great. So, well, let me get – let's just start with Best Picture. You want to start with the biggest award? Well, or should we, should we build up? Should yeah, we, we should, let's should, pretend it's the Oscars, folks. Let's build up Best Supporting Actor. Isn't that what they always start with, or actress? They start with the supporting actor or actress, okay, generally. Okay, well, let's yeah. start with that category then. Um, Mike, do you want to start? Your, your thought. Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, we should read the nominees. Well, should we should read the nominees. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
Eric, you read the nominees. The nominees are. The nominees are. Willem yes. Dafoe in The Florida Project. Woody Harrelson in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Richard Jenkins in The Shape of Water. Christopher Plummer in All the Money in the World. And Sam Rockwell in Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. And just a quick, wasn't Christopher Plummer mm-hmm. a late switch because of the Kevin Spacey? Yep, absolutely. I, I mean, that, that Kevin movie- Spacey was, is in that role. And then within a month of the opening date, they had to reshoot essentially a, a third of the film, maybe even more than that. Right. I mean, it was very close. And it's the remarkable true life story of the kidnapping of the grandson of the wealth, then wealthiest man in the world, or J, J. Paul Getty. So anyway. And if Kevin Spacey had been in the role, it would have been sort of accused of being that sort of stunt casting with a lot of makeup. He was made up to look really old. So it would have been kind of the Gary Oldman syndrome. But then they got an actual person who's, who's older, age appropriate, and apparently knocked it out of the park. And they shot that in like eight days. Right. That's amazing. I mean, does he have any chance? Uh, Christopher, I would say probably not. There's no other nominations for the movie. So there's not a whole lot of enthusiasm for the movie as a whole. Okay. Um, but I think – so I think that the one that's going to win will be Sam Rockwell. Really? If, if not him, perhaps Willem Dafoe. But I think Sam Rockwell has won pretty much all of the major awards at this point. All right. And, is, and your, your vote, Mike. I don't have the, the history of knowing what all – because there's like 26 award shows over right, the span right, of two right. months. We, um, I would – honestly, I think Woody Harrelson probably deserves it, but I'll just say he's not in the entire movie. Okay. So that with that alone, I would okay. probably give it to Willem Dafoe. Jonathan, do you, Jonathan, you get a vote too here. Actually, uh, in my, with my SAG award Oh, uh, God, vote, you too? That's <laughs> right, yes, all of us, Jonathan, here, all of us yes. here at the radio station yeah. uh, that are in the programming are SAG members. So um, I voted for uh, Woody Harrelson. Yes. So you voted for Woody Harrelson. Yes. Okay, all right. And well, let me ask you about that because they always talk about the politics of, of mm-hmm. this. Is that the way it works that – you know, if there's a consensus that emerges from these other awards shows, is that generally the case? Generally, you uh, – it depends on the award. If it's something okay. like the Golden Globes, it doesn't necessarily mean as much because the Hollywood Foreign Press Association is a small group of people. It, you know, it couldn't be much more than 100 people voting on those okay. awards. But when you start factoring in things like the Guild Awards, that's, those are by and large a lot of the same people that vote for the Oscars. Okay. So if something wins the Director's Guild Award, then that if, – if it wins you know, the Writer's Guild and all of the other ones, then it sort of gives off the sense that there's, yes, a momentum building behind a specific candidate. I'm actually keeping score here. Oh, you're going to see, judge to my – To see, to see who, who like <laughs> – okay, so, so Sam Rockwell is Sam. somebody who's really, really well-liked in the industry. He's got a great career, but he hasn't had any recognition right now. And I think that this is a case where he's overdue on his first nod, which is kind of a you know great okay. place to be in if you're right. – Let's talk about the actress in a supporting role, Mary J. Blige in Mudbound. Allison, is it Janie or Janie? Janie. She's unbelievable in I, Tanya, Leslie Manville in Phantom Thread, Laurie Metcalf in Lady Bird, and Octavia Spencer, The Shape of Water. Your vote sounded like uh, Allison well, Janney. Well, I, you know, I haven't seen all of the movies, mm-hmm. but I mean, I, I think Allison Janney is just unbelievable. Speaking of people who are well-liked in the industry, Allison Janney, I don't think you get much more well-liked than that. And does that help? I think it helps a lot. Okay. <laughs> I think what doesn't help. So I – my one oddball pick this year, and it's not that oddball because she won all of the Critics Awards. But I think Laurie Metcalf is going to pull it out for, for Lady Bird. I think that Allison Janney obviously has so much momentum and so much love. But her character in I, Tanya, at personal opinion only, uh, is, is kind of a cartoon villain. She doesn't have much depth of character. And Laurie Metcalf has 
I call him the good bad mom and the bad bad mom. Lori Metcalf is a good bad mom. She can't help but, you know, cause, you know, she's a cutting woman, but she does love her daughter. I think Mike would back me up on that one. I agree. <laughs> All right. So, so which one do you? I, I would, uh, you know, I would marry Alice and Jenny. <laughs> but uh, I think that her part was sort of one note, and um, Lori Metcalf's was a really? lot more, okay. a lot more wide ranging. All right, and, and is that are you guys like sort of out on a limb here with this one, or what are most people? Saying? I think that if I was actually putting money behind it, yes, I would say Allison Janney is going to win because, again, like I said, she is very well liked, and also, I'm, I mean, there's plenty of people out there who who don't feel yeah. the way I do about the performance. Yeah. I think it's just amazing. Okay, and this is how much local television has changed. WCCO TV actually sent me out to Portland. To cover that story. Oh, really? I'm serious. Really? So <laughs> Why are you not in the movie, Esme? <laughs> yeah. Why are you I not? just want you know, and I, the thing I remember about it is that Tanya was uh, Tanya Harding really did practice in a shopping mall ice rink. So it was, mm-hmm. you know, you go to the shopping mall and there'd be this ice rink, and Clack so there the were yep. people were shopping, and then there be there was dozens of cameras there. <laughs> And um, it was crazy. It was I should crazy. have seen you in that movie, and I should have seen you in the Cunanan. Uh, there you go. Series. I know. I know. But anyway, it was a really Get a new fun, agent. This, we, we and this it. is why I'm here to keep an eye on you, because yep. everywhere you go, there is some sort of disaster. Yeah, Somebody gets whacked. <laughs> um, anyway, but it, it was it was, it was was really um, – it was a lot of drama out there. All right. The actor in a leading role – and I'm, I'm going to mangle these names, so I'll let you, you guys do it. Uh, Mike, you take this one. OK. So we have uh, Timothy Chalamet from Call Me By Your Name. Daniel Day-Lewis, Phantom Thread, Daniel Kaluuya, Get Out, Gary Oldman, Darkest Hour, and Denzel Washington, Roman J. Is- uh, Roman J. Israel Esquire. Okay. And Daniel Day-Lewis, he really says this is uh, He has said it. it. Nobody buys it. Nobody believes it. Um, but if it is, it's, a, it's he, a what a way to go out. It's a fantastic performance. Right. And how, how many Oscars has he won? He's won three already. He's already won three The record Oscars, is four. Catherine Hepburn's won four of them. I thought doesn't Merrill have the Merrill only has a third. So wow, and she, well, three. okay, we're, we're going to get to Merrill here. Jack Nicholson here. has three, uh, but Merrill and Jack Nicholson, two of those, or they both had one that was a supporting uh, win, not lead. Oh. All of Daniel Day Lewis's have been for lead actor. Wow. Okay. Um, all right, your votes here. Well, this is a really great category. I mean, I would, I didn't like Darkest Hour that much. I thought it was kind of humdrum biopic kind of movie but at the same time well it is I, a biopic <laughs> it is a biopic it, it's one of those biopics that's just limited to a very specific time frame but it is a biopic and it is kind of a stunt with a lot of makeup and a lot of impersonation but gary oldman is fun in it and i, and I don't i'm not going to begrudge him the win that he's definitely going to get wow okay so you're saying gary oldman and mike uh, I saw, I also saw Darkest Hour. I thought it was a fine movie but honestly i'm also watching The Crown at the same time and yeah. um uh, That's really good too, John Lithgow. Thank you, John Lithgow, who plays. The I thought same he role. was fabulous. I think he's way better than I than, thought. John uh, Lithgow. I could. I, I, in a battle fabulous. of scenery chewing hams, John Lithgow <laughs> yes. will always win. Okay, so I I crossed him out. I love Get Out, but I think the juicier role and the more well acted role uh, is Timothy Chalamet and Call Me by Your Name. Yeah, if Timothy wins or if Daniel wins or Dan, either of the Daniels actually, I, any of those first three nominees would be fantastic if they won. There's not a ton of plot or action or drama in yeah. the traditional sense to prop up that performance that Timothy Chalamet gives. It really is just 
it's him acting in him and his co-star acting in a beautiful place. And if you can get emotions flowing in a setting like that, where there's not a lot of tricks and bells and whistles, I think that deserves something. Mike, you could do movie reviews, but here's the all. <laughs> I, I don't know anything about the politics of Hollywood. And I really right. don't care about the politics. And, 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 and that, that is a fact. Politics do come into play with this category because Gary Oldman does have a little skeleton in his closet. He's it's not quite to the level of a James Franco or a Kevin Spacey situation. But there is a little bit. There is a little bit of uh, Gary Oldman domestic kind of. Oh history. yeah, okay. right. So um, he would be the only one. The only one that could win that would maybe be controversial in that regard, but probably not. Okay. All right. Actress in a leading role, and I'm going to get one of you You're guys to the say break. the names again because these are these are tough. Oh, okay. We just take a break. All right. Take a break. More. We're getting with, played off here. More with the duo. <laughs> oh, and then years ago when I was like starting, out, I had I had an internship at the public station in Chicago. And you know who I was an intern for? Who? Siskel and Ebert. No so way. Were you really? Yes, 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 yes. WTTW. Oh, my so, God. So you guys are like the new Siskel and Ebert here. Okay. All right, folks. <laughs> Let's take a break. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. All right, folks. Back with the dynamic duo. Okay, wait. See, I didn't want a Bigfoot Eric by coming in. I was just here to hang out. Well, no, but I, I mean, it's great because you guys are really good together. I think, You've we, gone I think we've got something, Eric and Mike. Ones, I've sat know. through some real crap with Eric. So yeah, yeah okay. It's nice to actually be talking about the good right. stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. Actress in a leading role. One of you guys has to say these names because the. Uh, I'll do this one. Yeah. Sally Hawkins, The Shape of Water. Francis McDormand, Three Billboards. Margot Robbie, I, Tanya. Saoirse Ronan in Lady Saoirse Bird. Ronan. This is the year that everybody finally learns how to pronounce her name. <laughs> She's been nominated two times before, and, and this is the one that it actually uh, it rhymes with inertia. Uh, and Meryl Streep, The Post. All right. Uh, good on Meryl Streep. 21st nomination, I think. 24th, something wow. like that. It's, it's, wow. I've lost count. I, you know, I thought she had the record for the most Oscars, but you just informed me it was Catherine Hepburn. She will win one more. She will tie Catherine Hepburn's record before. For this. Yeah. Well, no, 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 no. Not for this. Just at some point, she will tie that record, and, uh, but not this year because the post – it was the one that had the highest hopes going into the Oscar season, and I thought it was good. I thought it was a perfectly well-made Spielberg movie um, with a little bit of a problematic script, but the post only has two nominations, the other one being Best Picture. So, And does that hurt you if, uh, if, it, if, if you – Yes, I, I think it does in this case. It also hurts that Meryl Streep did win in the last 10 years. Uh, so I think that at this point well, – She's got to wait another decade? Uh, she said <laughs> – when she won for the Iron Lady, she said, I'm going to say everything right now because I know for sure I will not be up here again. I think even she realizes – when she won for Angels in America, she's like, oh, I know that there's sometimes it's everybody in the world. When I win, I step up on stage and I hear a collective, not her again. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's sort of that too. But right. um, So who do you guys think could, could – this category is amazing. I, I will say I don't have any quarrel with any of these five. They would all make great winners. I think that Frances McDormand wins her second Oscar with this. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's yeah. great. I think that's that's probably true from what we've seen. I loved Sally Hawkins. what Sally Hawkins was able to do in a movie that I absolutely despised. You hated that movie. I yeah. hated The, uh, the Shape right. of Water. Mm-hmm. I thought it was so dumb, and I actually <laughs> tuned out at one point. Um, but she – has and this is not a spoiler. This is uh, unveiled in the first few minutes of the movie. She she does not speak a single word in the entire movie. Wow! And she still gets you t- again to the point where you start to feel for this character and feel on her behalf. And again, with no dialogue, how do you do that if that's not a, an Oscar-winning performance? Wow. I don't know if it's hard to feel empathy for somebody who is so lonely that they fall in love for a fish. I mean, it's it's. <laughs> <super>. <laughs> 
Look, it never worked for me, all right? <laughs> okay. All so, right. yeah, Frances McDormand's going to win, and we, I just watched her speech on the uh, Independent Spirit Awards, which are given the and night. did she win for Fargo? She won, she won for Fargo, yes. Yes, absolutely. Of course, of course. Strutted across the stage, uh, and now she's going to win a, a second award for nutty regionalisms. Right, and she when, when they were shooting, what was the movie that was shot in St. Louis Park that her – the Coen Brothers. North, North Country. North Country, okay. Which she was also nominated for. Right, okay. Um, but she was around a lot, and there was a coffee shop that I go to. This is my other, like, brush with frame, fame here. A coffee shop I go into every Saturday, and she was always there at the same time every Saturday. I was picking up stuff huh. from my family. Oh, you're And she was about, super nice. You're talking about a serious man. That, a serious the, man, she, that's, that's the, it. One, yeah, she wasn't in that. Yep, but her husband, obviously, directed. Yeah, but so. anyway, so. Great movie. We, we, we're, we're, Wait, we, we feel like we have a connection. Joel Cohen. She, of the Coen brothers. I didn't know. Oh, okay. Yes, yeah. I had no idea. See, so, this so is she why I'm here. never going to be a movie. <laughs> yeah, this okay, is why okay. you're this, the Siskel to my ear. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. All right. So director. Uh, Christopher Nolan Dunkirk. His first nomination, and uh, IMDb can calm down about it now. Uh, Jordan Peele, Get Out. Greta Gerwig, uh, Lady Bird. Paul Thomas Anderson, Phantom Thread. And Guillermo del Toro, In the Shape of Water. Uh, I think that it's going to be Guillermo del Toro. Even though I don't think that's going to win Best Picture. Lately, in the last decade, there's been a, a split between Best Picture and Director, which is, I believe, the direct result of the ranked choice balloting that goes into Best Picture. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. So how, how does that, that – that, it's like the Minneapolis city elections, folks. It's, it's going to be just, just like, like the, it. How did just the like Minneapolis the mayor's, mayor's <laughs> race get into the Oscars? How did exactly. that happen? It, it, Betsy Hodges could actually win yeah, this category. Yeah, there you go. Okay. What, <laughs> when, did, when did this happen? Uh, this happened in the last – right when – so remember it used to be five nominees for Best Picture and now it's open to more than that. Right. When they changed it and opened it up to anywhere between five and ten nominations, that's when they went to rank choice. And that's when you started to see major splits between Gravity winning Best Director, 12 Years a Slave winning Best Picture, okay. Revenant winning Director, Spotlight winning Best uh, Picture. Um, okay. I think the same thing's going to happen this year. So, so if if because so, your second your second place vote counts. If yeah, exactly. If you if your first choice is the post, we'll say, right. and that's the first, that's the one that has the least number of first place votes. They axe that out and just go to your second place vote. Wow. So okay. then the question becomes like, well, that basically favors the most broadly well liked movie. Maybe not the one that has the most passionate fans. Okay. But the most broadly liked. And, and that rank choice voting that's only in in. That one category? Just in that one. For Best Picture. Yeah. It would be nice if they did it for all of them, personally. But yes, it's it's only for and Best Picture. And has that been controversial at all? No, because I think that it's led to some actual real suspense at that top award. And I think that obviously last year when Moonlight won over La La Land and <laughs> Faye Dunaway obviously didn't believe what was on the card. Is it fair to say oh that? Oh, my gosh. That's right. That mm-hmm. was last year. And they're coming back. They're going oh, to get- oh, no. They're oh, going to give Best great. Picture and, oh, yes, Redemption. They, they, and what, what, were they given the wrong card? What, what they is were it? given the wrong card. They were given Best Actress. It said Emma Stone in really small print and then La La Land in huge letters under it. So they were given the Best Actress. Because there's two sets of, of, of envelopes okay. for every award, depending on what side of the stage they come from. And the guy who was on this how, side. You've got one job. He is, one job. It is seriously <laughs> well, the awesome. How much do you think he, he gets paid? Anymore. Matt Damon's lookalike lost his job. <laughs> oh, really? They, remember there was oh, a bit yeah. like he's. Oh, that's right. That's yeah. Right. Okay. He lost his job because he was taking a selfie before during the commercial break. Oh, that's right, right. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. And so he got distracted. Um, but they're coming back Which together. Yes, absolutely. Because this is actually the technically the 50th anniversary of when Bonnie and Clyde was actually competing for the Oscars. Hmm. Oh, that's cool. Okay, mm-hmm. that, that's cool. Okay, quick, I, if, quick question: Do these two get a standing ovation when they go, go out know, on the stage? I hope so. 
<laughs> you know, and are they going to be doing Best Picture? It's not, it wasn't their fault, right. you know. But but he he announced, so it was like, but it was. It said La La Land because Emma Stone won Best Actress. I mean, there are a lot of problems with this. We, let's not relitigate this, but the right, fact right. that the, the name you're supposed to read is in smaller type and the right. name of the film for Best Actress is bigger than the name of the actress is stupid. It's just bad design. It's a bad design, right. Mm-hmm. And then, and you're standing there with how many people are watching? M- millions. Millions. Maybe even what? billions. Okay. All right. Um. Uh, okay, so your thoughts about – we did Best Director. Did you do Best Director, Mike? Uh, Jordan Peele. He's, okay. Again, I don't know the politics or how the voting works, but in terms of who was the best director this year, I think Jordan Peele. It would be great if Jordan out. Peele – I think Christopher Nolan and Paul Thomas Anderson also did some of their best work. And Greta Gerwig. I love her movie. This is a, this is a best-case scenario. Even though I don't like – I also didn't like The Shape of Water a whole lot, um, Guillermo del Toro is just such a unique – uh, sensibility that I totally endorse him, and actually, then he and uh, Alejandro Iñárritu, there's they call themselves the Three Musketeers, three Mexican filmmakers with Alfonso Cuarón. He'll be the last one to get Best Director. Okay. All right, let's go now to the big category with ranked choice voting. <laughs> Can Bessie Hodges sneak in there? I don't know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> or will it be Jacob Fry? Or will it be Jacob Fry? Um, I, I, you know, I guess I read that somewhere. I just was not really that aware of that. So, um, what do you think here? Call Me By Your Name, Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, The Post, The Shape of Water, and Three Billboards. And the winner is Mike. Uh, I've, I, I loved all of these movies, but I think Get Out. That was the one that to me was the most uh, creative and took me, I think, by the most surprise. Because it was sold initially as a horror movie. And believe me, it is horrifying, but from a completely different perspective than you think Right, going mm-hmm. in. Uh, everybody thinks it's going to be The Shape of Water or Three Billboards. I think the ranked choice balloting is going to make Get Out the winner. I think the fact that – Oh, wow. So I you... don't think there's that many – I think that you get people who – the people who don't like Three Billboards and the people who don't like The Shape of Water really don't like it, or either of them. Right. So they get all these – So they're they're ranking it at the bottom of their ballot. Uh, let's Got say it. that their first choice doesn't get in. I see much more likely that they have Lady Bird and Get Out as their so second if, or third choice. If Get Out or Dunkirk or anything gets a lot of second and third place votes, mm-hmm. they could win. Right. So I see just I like th- the Minneapolis mayor's race. You know, it's just I mean, and, and, I mean, almost all of these movies can be boiled down to what what statement are they making? I do think that there's something to be said for the political climate right now and for what Hollywood or Holly Weird is going to say about America at large. That's the one thing Three Billboards does have in its corner. But I also think that Get Out says the very, you know, okay. is going to appeal to the same uh, sensibility. Okay. Well, listen, guys, thank you so much for coming by and doing this Oscar breakdown. Thanks, Mike, for um, you're taking the time before you go to WCCO-TV and spend the entire sure. night there. In the fetal it, position it, on the In the fetal floor. position yep. on the weather, sir. Because sure, it's another hard <laughs> storm. Wait, and so next this- time we'll play Six Degrees of Esme. Yes. yes. <laughs> Exactly. Tell us what other stars you've met. <laughs> exactly. What other stories you've covered. Oh, God. It's just... What other dead stars? What other Esme dead covered? stars? Yes. That's, that's, maybe that would be the best I think Meryl start. Streep is going to have to play you in the role. Oh, movie. yes. <laughs> if it's not called The Post, what is it called? The Four? Yeah, exactly. The Wire. All right. Well, all right. Anyway, guys, I still love you. But anyway, uh, thank you so much for coming by, and uh, we appreciate it. We'll see if you guys, your, your picks shake out. All right, the one and only Eric Henderson, Mike Augustinak on their Oscar picks. We are going to take a break, and then maybe Michael will want to stick around and listen to my forecast coming up in just a couple of minutes. It is 7.39 in the Twin Cities, Esme Murphy, along with uh, studio coordinator and producer Jonathan Lowe. I want to talk um, 
this half hour about a very serious issue. I work in downtown Minneapolis. Uh, I come in at all hours of the day and night, uh, either to radio or to TV. And I am... I see very often people who are obviously homeless uh, in our community, and it's something that is, uh, as a community, uh, as a state, and also as a country, I think we need to address uh, in, in a very important way. And one of the issues is affordable housing. Senta Leff is the executive director for the Minnesota Coalition for the Homeless, and she is talking about Homeless Day on the Hill that is coming up on this Tuesday. Uh, Senta, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, absolutely. Why don't you talk about Homeless Day on the Hill and what what does it involve and what are you hoping it achieves? Sure. Um, Homeless Day on the Hill is an annual event where advocates from all across the state come together um, to support one uh, collective legislative agenda that supports the full continuum of housing affordability. Um, The event grows in size every year, and we're really proud to say that this year we're approaching almost 900 attendees who will represent nearly every legislative district in the state. So there will be virtually uh, no lawmaker in the state of Minnesota in the House or Senate who doesn't hear from one of their constituents about the importance of affordable housing on Tuesday. All right, because in the end, I mean, that is certainly one of the underlying issues to this problem. Do you have what figures do you have currently uh, for homelessness in, in, in Minnesota? In you know, I I heard you just before our interview start mention the visibility and and what you see when you come to work in downtown Minneapolis um, across the state. On any given night, there are about fifteen thousand people in Minnesota who don't have a safe place to sleep at night. One of the things that I think surprises people more than anything is that more than half of those. Uh, homeless folks in Minnesota are children or um, very young adults. And in fact, among the um, children, about half of those kids are under the age of five. Wow. You know, I I do know that um, when we were doing uh, following up on um, one of the more recent snowstorms, uh, I reached out to both the Minneapolis and uh, St. Paul school districts uh, about, you know, what time kids got home. And I think it was Minneapolis who talked to me about uh, the fact that, that uh, some of the kids that they had to put in cabs because they were going to homeless shelters uh, had yeah. gotten back late. And it, it was just a reminder that you've got kids here in our community who are homeless, who are trying to go to school at the same time. And obviously that is a, a, a tough, tough situation, but it's it's a reality uh, that I think people need to be aware of. Uh, in in terms of the these numbers, has it gotten worse? Has it gotten better in recent years? You know, the numbers do tend to um, go up or down depending on how our economy is doing. Um, during uh, the recent recession in the early 2000s, we saw numbers spike dramatically. Um, Minnesota has seen a decrease uh, over the past three years, but that isn't just due to um, an improving economy. States that have 
similar economies and populations to Minnesota haven't seen the same sort of progress that we have. What's unique about Minnesota is that we have an incredibly strong advocacy community that has supported our legislature in generating about $270 million since 2012 um, in bonds and services to create more affordable housing and more housing opportunity across the state. And it's those specific and targeted investments that have made all the difference. Right. And and that's something that you see and you see sort of these groups of men and women and, and, you know, younger kids even, you know, kind of walking around some of these streets. This is sort of just behind really target field uh, where you see many of it and where where many of the shelters are. And it's uh, they're always there. They're always there, even on some of our coldest nights Mm -hmm. and coldest mornings. uh, And again, even at all hours of the night, you know, I come in on Sunday mornings and, you know, after after four and you always see people. And I wonder how, how, how can this, you know, be and how can this continue? What are some of your goals, you know, in terms of the legislature this year? Yeah, I'll get to that very quickly. Um, One thing that I do just want to say to your listeners, it is true that it, it, there, you always see them, right? And it looks like this pervasive problem that um, appears intractable. Um, But I, I might remind your audience that although they're always there today, they haven't always been there. Um, homelessness as we know it on the scale that we know it is um, a problem that's younger than I am. We can trace it back to a pretty specific point in our country's political and economic history. And I just point that out. And what, because, what, what point is that? Uh, in the early 80s, the um, Department of Housing and Urban Development, or HUD, um, had budget cuts of 50% or more. We deinstitutionalized state mental hospitals and some of the basic safety net, economic safety net services that people rely on in times of crisis began to stagnate. And, um, and you so, and you believe you trace that back. You you trace that moment, those policies, which obviously was under the Reagan administration, as as the origins of of the homeless problem in this country. Yeah. Uh, and, Prior to that, we had not had as many um, homeless women and children in this country as we did um, since the Great Depression. Um, so, you know, homelessness, in, when I was a little girl, and, you know, I, I'm not yet 40 years old, when I was a little girl, it was a pretty um, rare and shocking thing to see. You, uh, and then in the early 80s, which was when my organization, the Minnesota Coalition for the Homeless, was formed, there was a sudden onslaught of this new and shocking problem. And we were formed to go upstream and generate the resources and policies necessary to end this very solvable problem, which brings us today on the Hill in our 2018 legislative agenda and what folks will be advocating for. Um, So this is our largest ask of the legislature. Yes, we are requesting $150 million um, in order to strengthen Minnesota's full housing continuum. The majority of that, $140 million, is a request for bonds for housing, and those bonds would be used 
to build and preserve affordable housing, including preserving public housing throughout the state. And then we also have a $10 million request uh, to prevent and end homelessness through things like rental assistance and support services. Um, one of the requests we're lifting up is an initiative called Homework Starts at Home. We talked already about how many children are experiencing homelessness, and it's pretty hard to do homework if you don't have a place to call home. So that's what those nearly 900 folks will be talking to their lawmakers about come Tuesday. Well, and, and it is something that I think a lot of people you know, don't think of when it comes to the actual um, homeless you know, figures is, is the fact that there are kids there. In terms of how Minnesota is dealing with this issue, how do we compare to other communities? And is there any one community out there that you feel is really being especially um, effective in, in addressing this issue? Um, I stated earlier, we really are uh, among uh, some of the few states in the nation that are uh, really ahead of the curve in terms of the decreases that we're seeing. Um, Minnesota is one of, I believe, three states in the nation that have um, effectively ended veteran homelessness, for example. Um, So that's a relatively small population of the folks who are experiencing the problem, but it's a great example of the progress we can make when we make really targeted and strategic investments. Um, Minnesota is also leading the nation among reductions in homelessness within families with children. And that is some, those are things that obviously are, are especially encouraging. Uh, but in terms of other communities, anything else that they're doing well? It sounds like we're doing well in, in, in those all important categories, especially when we think of families and, and our veterans who certainly deserve everything that we can possibly provide for them. Absolutely. You know, around the nation, I think I think we uh, are united in a shared definition of what it means to end homelessness. Um, that might sound like an impossible thing to your listeners. What we mean when we say that is that um, it doesn't mean that there will never be an episode of homelessness anywhere in Minnesota or anywhere in the country, but that when it does happen, it's rare. Um, it's brief. It doesn't last very long and it's non-recurring. So it's episodic in nature. And I talked about kind of how things used to be about 35 years ago or so. And and that's what homelessness looked like then. It was a pretty small group of people. Um, it was pretty hard to cut. You didn't see it too often when you did see it. Um, it, it happened for a short period of time, and then people had the resources in order to break that cycle. And that's what we're striving for for Minnesotans um, through all stages of life. Uh, we're chatting with Santa Left. She's the executive director from the Minnesota Coalition for the Homeless. Santa, I want to ask you, one of the things that I, I've sort of always been intrigued by are alternate types of housing, whether it's a tiny house or sort of micro-apartments. And, and there have been some you know, uh, articles about these forms of housing, talking about how this could probably help in terms of providing more affordability there. Is Minnesota doing anything like that? And do you see that uh, as possibly something that could help here? There are some communities in Minnesota that have 
experimented with things like tiny homes. Um, it can also be sort of controversial when you get on a really local level, um, whether or not communities want a, a set of tiny homes uh, in their neighborhood or not. You know, it's an interesting idea. Um, my perspective is that what we really need to do is go a bit farther upstream. People always hear me say homelessness isn't a character flaw. It's a mass problem. Um, and as the rate of uh, the cost of rent has gone up, and uh, the particularly at the federal level, the public supports uh, and investments in affordable housing have gone down. Uh, we've seen housing insecurity skyrocket. Um, there's not a single county anywhere in the United States where you can earn minimum wage and afford a market rate one or two bedroom apartment. Um, so, you know, those are, they're, 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 uh, you know, interesting ideas to think about. Um, they feel like a little bit of a Band-Aid fix to me, frankly. Well, you, you, this, this is what you do, and, and this is obviously your area of expertise, so it's important to hear your perspective on that. And obviously, um, the Homeless Day on the Hill coming up here, uh, we certainly appreciate your insights this evening. Uh, Senator Left, the Executive Director from the Minnesota Coalition for the Homeless. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for the conversation. Absolutely. Thank you. All right, folks, uh, we do have to take a little break. Um, have some closing thoughts on this hour. And then coming up, uh, Professor David Schultz uh, on all things politics. I want to talk to him about the president's big reversal on gun control. also want to ask him something. Uh, you know, I began the show talking with uh, our Sloan Martin from our newsroom about some of these proposals, uh, including one uh, before the state capitol here that would allow family members to petition uh, if they felt that there was a family member or loved one who had a gun and who shouldn't, and to have that weapon removed. Uh, I'd be interested to hear David Schultz's take on that one. So let's take a quick break. You are listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. It's uh, 7.56 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy with you for another hour. Uh, interesting to... Uh, Look at this forecast. It was it was crazy. During this uh, hour, we had Eric Henderson, who is our the head of our web unit at WCCO Television, and he is also a movie reviewer, has written uh, movie reviews uh, for many, many years. Always great to talk to him. And it's sort of our little tradition that he comes in studio, and he brought his pal, my pal, Mike Augustinak. And I did get uh, – Mike gave his Oscar picks. Eric gave his Oscar picks. Uh, Mike, we kind of got a little bit out of the – him on the forecast, which is dicey, 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 dicey. Uh, and I want to let you know that Mike, who is very, very good and works very hard at trying to decipher forecasts, and he, we've had a lot of really crazy forecasts, uh, including just last week. Wasn't it last week? Overnight <laughs> into Sunday? I mean, it was just snowing hard. And now it looks like we are going to have another major snow event. It's, it's uh, coming up in in. in you know, Monday through Tuesday, but Mike Mike Augustinek will break it down for you at six a.m. and nine or ten thirty a.m. tomorrow. But- it's March in Minnesota. It's uh, this is as well noted, well recorded. February, March are the snowiest portions of the year. Right. So this is just par for the course. 
Wow. But a lot of snow headed our way. So tune in. Uh, we'll have a great show lined up for you. But anyway, I want to let you know coming up here, right here on News Radio 830 WCCO, I will have a chance to talk to a, a guy who I like to say is one of my favorite guests, the one and only Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.